visit Cape and Cowell Comics at 1601 Clay Street in downtown Oakland, California, open every day, or online at capeandcowlcomics.com. Welcome to the Cape and Cowell Comics Podcast, where we talk comics and comics culture. I am Henry Liu, and today I am joined by Aton Manhoff. Hello, Aton. Henry, what's up, man? And Rainier. Henry, Aton, how are you guys doing? <laughs> good, good. This is the first time we got three mics active on the podcast, so yeah. an exciting day <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> and also an exciting day because we're going to talk about Image Comics. Image Comics, as you may know, is celebrating its 25th anniversary. It started up in 1992 and 25 years. Can you believe it? Um, and recently, it was Image Day, so sort of com commemorate the occasion. And Aton, uh, you had kind of a an in-store celebration for this. You want to talk about that? We did. That? Yeah, we 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 got on board. Um, we are we are big uh, Image House. Love Image Comics. Um, they are uh, you know they're considered probably industry wide as one of the big three. Uh, behind Marvel and DC and in our store I, I haven't looked too closely at the numbers I probably should I was trying to figure out how to yesterday but I am not good at computers uh, <laughs> but I, I might think that they might be uh, one of the big two at our store so uh, when they announced Image Day um, there wasn't a whole lot of information about it um, or what we should do or what Image was going to do but but I knew you know no matter what we were gonna we were gonna participate and support it um, and whatever. So they, um, the probably the biggest thing that they did. Well, it's really it's really Robert Kirkman credit where credits due. He took uh, his three books that he writes for Image, which are Walking Dead, Invincible, and Outcast, um, and he made them all. All the the newest issues are twenty five cents. Um, and for Image Day, the Walking Dead issue came out. Um, so we went ahead and ordered a metric buttload <laughs> of Walking Dead number 163 and decided uh, we would give them away uh, to everybody that came in. We also did a, a sale on trade paperbacks and graphic novels uh, from Image, um, Image back issues and uh, Image stuff. And if you bought an Image back issue that day and I didn't give you the discount, come and see me because <laughs> I think I was slipping on that one. But I know, I know we did the trades right. Um, but but yeah, and it was a, it was a really hugely successful day, uh, and we asked, we had a signing, uh, not somebody from Image, but uh, Dave Dwanch was there, and he's a nice. big Image fan, and I think we're gonna see uh, his name on an Image book sometime soon, if I had to guess. Oh, awesome. so so this is the first um, sort of celebratory um, day that Image has thrown, I, as far as I can remember. Is that is that the case? I think so. Yeah, I haven't seen anything. Uh, Specific to them in the past as a as a reader or customer and, and certainly not as a retailer. So so this is their uh, first um, Foray into the special event uh, Day that I know of we'll see if they do it again next year or if they're gonna wait and just have image day on big uh, round numbers Yeah, that's cool. I, I've been seeing I mean, it's it's uh, in, uh, These days we have free comic book day that returns every year Um and with like really big iconic characters like Batman, they just celebrate. Well, not, not just, but they've celebrated their 75th year anniversary, and right. we're reaching right. a lot of milestones. It's really cool to see Image is is jumping on that, even for just 25 years. Not that it's not long enough, mm -hmm. but <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, if you, if you you look at the seventy-five year life of a, of a DC Comics or something, and then you put the twenty-five years of, of Image next to it, that's actually you know that's a third of the time that yeah. somebody like Superman's been around. That's that's significant. Yeah, and uh, we were discussing this a little bit earlier, but kind of the big the big bonus or the big plus of Image Comics is creator ownership, and I just wanted to make sure everyone knew the distinction. Uh, between creator ownership and character creation. So, you know, superheroes have become very mainstream and you, you watch these TV shows and movies and you see these credits, you know, characters created by da-da-da, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. And you see these names and I think the the average fan will be like, oh, these people must be fucking millionaires, right? <laughs> uh, because like it's, it's, you know, you see merchandising and Target and uh, Walmart, you name it. Um, but the reality is these creators do not own those characters. Those characters tend to be owned by corporate entities like Marvel and DC, etc. Uh, the big change is with uh, a company, a company like Image, where the creators do own their stuff, and that's kind of where it all started, right? Maybe we can talk about the history a bit about about how Image started. Sure. Yeah. So, like you said, uh, 1992 um, is when the company formed, and what it was is is uh, these seven big name artists at the time. They were all, I believe, they were all artists. I don't think any of them were writers. They're all pretty much working for Marvel. And they're all selling the shit out of books like X-Men and Spider-Man and all this stuff and just making uh, their corporate overlords just, you know, buckets of money. And this, you know, 1992 is is like the, the heart of the speculator market, right? So everybody, people are literally buying copies of X-Men number one by the case. They are telling their comic book store, order me 250 copies of X-Men number one because this is my financial plan to like put my kids through college um which as we all know now was <laughs> just about the stupidest thing uh, anybody could have done um they print you know going x-men number one they printed like four million copies of that you know you know how many yeah. people come and try to sell me x-men number one every <laughs> week they're just like hey i've been holding on to this 25 years old pay me I'm like, yeah. get that shit out of here <laughs> that's jim lee's jim lee's x-men right that's jim lee's x-men yeah. yeah it looks just like the cartoon i mean it's cool as shit it's fun um it's a fun book but i every single person who wants that book has a copy of that book there is nobody who's just like i wish i could find an x-men mm -hmm. number one uh, anyway, uh, so these guys, they, they go to um, the the boss of Marvel at the time, and I'm blanking on his name, but the seven guys, if I can remember, Jim Lee, uh, Todd McFarlane, Eric Larson, um, uh, Wills Portacio. Oh, yeah, Wills yeah. Portacio. Yeah. yeah. Um, 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 uh, <laughs> Did you say Rob? Did you say Mark Rob Silvestri? Liefeld, Rob, Rob Liefeld, Liefeld, Mark Silvestri, uh, Jim, one more. Jim Valentino. Jim Valentino. So these guys go to Marvel um, and they say, you know, we want ownership of these books. Like, give me a stake in X-Men, um, which really, like, you think about it, it's kind of a silly request, right? Like, they're, you know, you don't own it. You work for me. Right. You know, the stuff you put on the page is mine. Like, I, I think there's something valid to it. It sucks. And I think certain creators have been able to kind of go around it and get little sweetheart deals like a 
like a uh, Brian Michael Bendis with Jessica Jones, all this stuff. He's like, I, w- I will create stuff for you, but I want a piece of the pie. But that is mm-hmm. so incredibly rare. And that's also post-Image Comics creation. Because yeah. they, they Marvel realizes that a guy like Brian Bendis could go build a universe over at Image that could rival their own. I mean, he's really that brilliant and that, um, you know, that capable. Uh, so anyway, so these seven guys, um, they go off and they form uh, Image Comics. Todd McFarlane does Spawn. Jim Lee does the, uh, what was his? He did Wildcats. Wildcats. Um, Eric Larson, of course, is Savage Dragon. Um, So all these guys, they have their seven books. They're actually seven independent companies under an image uh, banner. And um, their their only rule was that creators own everything and the companies can't interfere with each other. and they managed to do that for the most part. I think, like, if you dig real deep, you might find that Rob Liefeld was, like, stepping on people's dicks and stuff. But that's just <laughs> what I think Rob Liefeld does. Um, but so so things were great. Like, they made a huge splash. And within a few months, they are the number two publisher, second only to Marvel. I mean, within a fucking couple of months, mm. they displaced DC. Um, wow. That's how hot their art was, how great their character design was, all the shit. Um, but these guys were not comic book production professionals they were um artists you know and they certainly weren't writers uh (laughs) you go back and read some of those books and like (laughs) the art is cutting edge and it's cool and the writing especially at the beginning is poo poo (laughs) yeah one of the things that i remember most like especially with a lot of the team books like cyber force um wildcats there was always sort of the same formula there was the strong guy there was the there was the hot girl. There was yeah. the leader. There was you know they sort of yeah. follow like the, the sort tech of fame. guy, the yeah. speed guy. Yeah, I mean it's it's the same comics that all of us were creating in sixth grade in our notebooks, but they just like were drawing the shit out of it. Um, so anyway, so the writing wasn't good, and then they they were not keeping schedules. Uh, mm. Much like uh, modern comics today, we have a hard time hitting our schedules, or the publishers do. But back then, they really did it, um, and they really shot their themselves in in, in their foot. Uh, with it over over time, and it took a few years for people to be like, "Fuck, where is, you know, Cybercats 12? And then they realized, like, I don't care actually, where Cybercats Twelve is. You know what? I mean, whatever. Uh, but they did smartly. They um, those seven guys attracted uh, a little variety to the company. You know, because they did realize a lot of their stuff was very similar in the same vein following the same formula. So they got somebody like a Sam Keith to come in and do the Max um, and Pitt and and, uh, and and Jeff Smith came in and did Bone and all this stuff. Mm. So they, they, they got into the artistic comics. Um, sorry, I'm going like way <laughs> off. Yeah. Oh, but well, you brought up a lot of titles and um, kind of, Eitan, you're speaking sort of objectively, but for everyone in the room, are there particular image titles that are meaningful to you or that you're just a big fan of? Yeah, Irene, you want to start off? Jeez, what did I start with? I started <laughs> off with Spawn um, yeah. and Wildcats. Um, you know, to be quite honest, I I started out um, with Marvel as the forefront of what I really enjoyed reading. And when, when Image came to the scene with these really beautiful covers um, with really great artists on them, that's what attracted me was, was really the artwork. One of the things that really stood out to me was the dollar ninety nine price tag. I don't know if you guys remember that, but I, <laughs> at the time that was expensive for me. Being used yeah. to buying books for a buck, dollar twenty five, a dollar ninety nine, we're like, wow, where where is this, <laughs> this going? Be good. It's got to be good. And look at this artwork; it's great. How could it not be good? Yeah. <laughs> cool. 
I don't know if I can remember what my first image book was. I did not get caught up in the the craze of the early 90s. That's when I, we talked about this last time I was on. You know, I got into comics in the early 90s, and it was all DC. It was just all DC all the time. Um, and I the image stuff didn't really turn me on like it did a lot of other people. And I was... Uh, you know, I had my, my friends at the time, you know, other little kids who were all about it. You know, Spawn is just so rad and, and look at this art and look at that. And I'm like, yeah. no, dude, I don't, <laughs> I do not even care. Um, so it took me quite a while. I'm wondering if maybe it was like The Walking Dead or Invincible or something like that. Um, that pulled me in. Or I don't know if I got to Criminal before those, but Criminal wasn't even actually Image. It wasn't. So, um, so it probably was was Invincible and The Walking Dead. That that's what what pulled me into the Image universe. Yeah. What I do remember is uh, I, I was a big fan of Pit. I remember that first issue coming out, and right when it hit the shelves, I saw it marked up. I think upwards of like thirty to forty bucks, uh, and it took forever for the second issue to to, to come out, which I think <laughs> speaks to what you're talking about, how they weren't production guys, and uh, yeah. that that really hurt them sort of in the long run. Because when it did finally come out, no one really. They're like, oh, it came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's too late. I mean, comics have to come out on time. It's so important. That's why what Image does now, or a lot of the Image books where they kind of tell a story and take a break, mm-hmm. is such a smarter system than committing to a monthly schedule that, that uh, you know, you either don't know how or you're not, you know, you don't want to rush your books. Yeah. You know, I mean, so. if, if there is a drawback to this whole creator ownership thing, maybe it is the scheduling because... Um, if the creator's kind of calling all of the shots, it can be few and far between, you know, getting the issues on the regular, right? So it can be a drawback. Regarding creator ownership, I wanted to sort of add to what Aton was talking about, how, you know, a lot of these guys, Jim Lee, Todd McFarlane, they, they came up to Marvel and were like, we would like to have some of these royalties for, you know, some of these uh, stories that we're creating. Uh, in addition to that, they did create some new characters, that, and that's what they were mainly looking at, too. I, I think Jim Lee created Omega Red. I remember correctly. Uh, he was definitely, yeah. I mean, he was, yeah. He came out in issue four of that run. Um, Bishop came in that run. Yeah, yeah. They they definitely did create a bunch of characters. You're right. They, that was a big part of it. Um, they were adding to the lore, um, and maybe I don't know if they could see ahead or if, at the time it was just like action figure royalties, cartoon royalties, that kind of shit. But you know, these days when when an Omega Red's gonna show up or a Mister Sinister, whoever it is, is gonna show up in a movie. Um, you know, those guys are not getting paid. Um, or, or they might, you know, actually, that they might get paid. Like, it totally depends on the publisher who's in charge at the time. Um, I know that, um, uh, what's his name at DC, uh, who was the publisher for a long time? I'm blanking on his name. Paul Levitz. Um, he used to take care of guys uh, when their stuff was used in cartoons or movies or whatever. He would um, get them everything that he could. I know that that has changed under the... Uh, Dan Didio, Jim Lee uh, thing. I, um, though, I don't know who it was. Some creator just came out recently and like he created Thanos and he created some like bullshit side character for DC and he made more off that bullshit character being in Batman vs. Superman than he did fucking Thanos being in the oh. Guardians of the Galaxy. Wow. Did you guys see that? I, no. Yeah, okay. Well, it's, it's, it's out there. Wait, <laughs> the truth is out there. I'm going to have to look up this character. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I and can't think of who it was. Of just furthering on the whole creator ownership thing, um, you guys hear about the the deal that Ed Brubaker has at Image. So basically, a few years ago, he signed this contract. It's an exclusive deal where he has to 
um, this was only 2013, I guess, for the next five years, you know, he cannot work for another, another publisher. But what he gets in exchange is 100% creative control. And it's, it's crazy. It's like, apparently, he doesn't even have to pitch them his new books. Hmm. They just say, just, just do it. And we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll see it when, it when you're done, you know? It's amazing, you know? And uh, what he's done so far with them under this contract, and even before the contract, is phenomenal. Like, hands down, Ed Brubaker is my favorite comics writer. And what he did at DC and Marvel was great. Mm-hmm. But I would argue his greatest work has been his stuff at Image. And so a few titles, he did The Fade Out, he did Velvet, Kill or Be Killed, his latest title. Fatal. Fatal, yes. And Fatal was his, his first image book. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you brought up Criminal before, Aton. Uh, that was a different publisher, but Image republished all of his work on Criminal, which is Yeah, it's cool. I, I don't know exactly how that agreement works, how, how he was able to bring Criminal over to Image. And I'm really hoping that he can bring over some of his other books that he did under the DC or uh, Marvel icon thing. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a Sleeper is something that everybody should read. Um, yeah. Incognito is amazing. Um, so I really hope I, I really I've never looked into what how that deal worked, but um, I'm I'm hoping that we're we're close to those other books coming over. Yeah, yeah. Some some creators I think work well within the confines of a system, like like a big publisher like DC or Marvel, but. Some, you kind of just got to let them fly, you know? I think Brubaker's one of those guys where you just give him, you know, the keys to the car and just let him do his thing, and the work is is amazing. Totally. Well, Brubaker's a special case because he's just amazing because the stuff that he did for uh, DC and Marvel is is incredible. I mean, his Captain America Winter Soldier is, you know, um, one of the best, if not the best Captain America story ever told. They, They clearly... Mar- somebody at Marvel agrees because they put a bazillion dollars behind it to make that movie. Yeah, um, his Gotham Central over at uh, at DC that he did with Greg Rucka is, is incredible. You know, he I think he's a special case in that he can crush both the creator owned um, and the the you know stuff for the the pay for hire stuff for the big two. You know, there's other creators which I think don't necessarily do that. Like like. Uh, uh, Jonathan Hickman, who has great image books, right? I mean, he's got East of West. He's got um, Manhattan Projects. He's got uh, Black Monday Murder. He's got, you know, a slew of really good, really interesting creator-owned stuff that he's done for image. And then you go over to some of his Marvel stuff, which I know a lot of people love. He wrote Avengers for a long time, and I think it's boring as shit. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's just like, look how big my ideas are. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's... it's not for me, but his creator stuff is great. And then you have somebody like Brian Bendis, who I brought up before, who like I just I re- I personally love his superhero stuff. Like he he just does these super chatty, but yet really fun superhero comics. But whenever he goes and does creator own stuff, um, it's not for me. Like you mm-hmm. just just go play in the sandbox and and play with those toys. Like you don't need to bring your own. Person. <laughs> yeah, that's what I think. And you know what I had mentioned earlier about how whenever you see these creator credits in TV shows and movies, they actually aren't super rich people, you know, for all the reasons we just mentioned. Typically, these creators don't own their characters. They don't own their properties. The huge, giant exception is Robert Kirkman, because from the very beginning, Image Comics 
cr completely creator-owned. He owns all of these amazing characters. So the success of the TV show and the comics, he's, he's seeing big-time dollars from it all. Um, so yeah, Eitan, you want to talk about uh, The Walking Dead a little bit? Sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, so Kirkman owns The Walking Dead along with the with two artists. Um, the Was it Tony Moore, who was the artist for the first like five or six issues? And then um, who's the artist on The Walking uh, Dead? Ch Charlie Adler. Charlie Adler, yeah, who's done it for the last you know 15 years after those first five issues. Um, uh, so yeah, they own it. Um, they are all richer than God. Um, good for them. Um, but but really, uh, Walking Dead. Not only is it a you know television phenomenon and, and an impressive comic that's that just hit issue 163. I mean, what's the last comic that hit issue fucking 20? Let alone <laughs> yeah. 163. Yeah. Um, and particularly a creator-owned book. Uh, it's it's pretty incredible. And and I think he deserves a lot of credit um, for one saving Image Comics uh, when they were, you know, floundering a little bit at the, in the early two thousands. You know, you talk about ideas having run their course. You know, Spawn ten years later uh, did not have the audience it had at the beginning. You know, and none of those like supposedly edgy superheroes really had an audience at that time. You know, people were doing cooler, edgier shit. Uh, you know, in the Batman universe than these guys were doing um, over at Image. Um, but then here comes Robert Kirkman with his zombie book, which, like, you know, horror books don't do well, black and white books don't do well, all this stuff. Um, but then, you know, he he had this great understanding um, or this great idea of a, a zombie story that would never end. You know, it's not mm -hmm. like the movies where... You know, they light, set all the zombies on fire and then everything's great, right? It's just yeah. like this world will go on and it will suck. Uh, and the, the biggest problem you have is not zombies, it's other people. Right. Um, and I remember, I remember when Walking Dead started to get a little attention and Robert Kirkman's name um, was, you know, being floated around as, as being, you know, a, a potentially, you know, the next big thing, all this stuff. Um, way well before the show, though, he came out with this kind of manifesto and he was like, you know, creators need to make their own comics. Like if we're going to push comics forward, they need to, to get out from under Batman's cape and like go write their own ideas and tell their own stories. Otherwise, like comics are, are they're just not going to go anywhere. Um, and I remember at the time, you know, hardcore DC guy, hardcore superhero guy, just like, fuck you. <laughs> like you guys can't see it, but I'm totally I'm making the jerking off motion. Um, just like, shut up. What do you know? Um, and, you know, fast forward 15 years and he was right. I mean, he was just right about every single thing that he said. And we are so much better off um, as readers and yeah. as an industry because um, he I think he did push some people, you know, to to take a chance and and uh, and tell their own stories. You know, I, I don't think. Um, we'd get Image Comics by Matt Fraction, or maybe not even Brubaker or Brian K. Vaughn, if if Kirkman didn't, you know, step up and be like, "Hey, let's let's do this." Yeah, yeah. Hey, Rainier, uh, you, we've we've been longtime fans of the TV show. We're fully caught up, and I've read just a little bit of the comics, but you have been. Um, kind of reading a lot of the comics lately, right? With for the first time, with fresh set of eyes. What's what's that been like? Yeah. Uh, so I'm playing a bit of catch up on reading The Walking Dead. Um, it's interesting because a lot of a lot of my friends that have 
actually almost all my friends are watching The Walking Dead uh, because of the success of the show they've been going back and reading the books and I think that's what what you were saying about Kirkman bringing attention to to this and making you know making um, making it as sort of widely popular and widely accepted um, I think it's great um, and so yeah I'm jumping on is it a bandwagon I don't know <laughs> <laughs> I've been reading comics forever um, but uh, no the book is great I, I mean it's it's I can see why, you know, sort of a general audience takes to the show. In my opinion, I feel like everyone sort of puts themselves in that position, like, what would I do? And so it sort of reaches out to the human condition. Uh, it's, it's great seeing the differences between the book and the show. Yeah. What do I prefer? I don't know. I love it all. That's <laughs> no, which big. one? Gotta pick one. <laughs> which do you like better? What do I like better? The show's easier to digest, I think. Yeah, we, we had this conversation before, but would you say that, I mean, the show's pretty dark. It's violent, it's grim, but is the comic even darker? I think there's more complexities in the book that they can't necessarily translate onto the show. I mean, a television show has, they do have restrictions. I mean, they can only say shit so many times on the show, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> but with the books, there's, there's a lot of darker and deeper places I think they can go into. So for that fact, I do appreciate the book more so than the show. Um, yeah. I like the comic better than show, but I like all comics better than all TV, <laughs> and so should everybody else. Wow. Um, but the uh, the uh, the comic, the, the pacing is so much faster, you know, and, and I... Um, I mean, I enjoy The Walking Dead show, um, but I do get a little hung up on the pacing sometimes. And I think the most clear example is you go back to uh, season two of the show where they're on the farm. Oh, yeah. And they're on the farm for, for fucking ever. Yep. They're on the farm for 36 years. <laughs> and you go back to the, the comics, and that was four issues. And that's four Robert Kirkman issues, which is like, those things read fast. Like, we got on the farm, we got the characters we needed, and we got the fuck off the farm. You know, the farm burnt down. Like, the farm goes away. Um, so it's a more realistic portrayal versus a more dramatic, like, Hollywood portrayal. You know, I, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure because maybe, you know, if you found a quiet farm, like, you'd stay there forever, right? Like, you just like you just fucking stay there and build a fence um, or build a wall, build that wall. Um kidding uh, uh but i don't know which is more realistic or which is better but i know that um i didn't need to be on that farm for a full episode of the tv series like i'd like them to keep things moving there there are some great scenes though in the show and i'm not picking one over the other well i am slightly going towards the comics but they, the sh i'm gonna give credit to the show for doing some really great things uh like the okay so should i note spoilers here yeah, yeah. all right <laughs> the reveal of uh carol's daughter uh, coming out of the farm, I think that was season two. Yeah, yep. and despite it being you know a relatively slower paced season, I thought that reveal was huge. I literally stood up from my chair like whoa, and I'm sure a lot of my friends did the same thing. Um, what else did they do in the show that I really loved? I uh, mean, I love the the reveal of of Carol's daughter's you know death, but it it kind of makes me think of like a meal that you waited like three hours for and it's delicious. <laughs> And there's a reason why it tasted so good because you waited so damn long for it. You know what I mean? It's kind of like along those lines. <laughs> I think it goes back. It goes back to pacing, though. That is right. I mean, well, I mean, it's the way again restrictions on shows. Like there has to be some sort of big reveal, and like there has to be cliffhangers. That's just the way television, I think, works. Uh, where you can change that up in the comics, right? 
Yeah, well, comics need cliffhangers too. I mean, um, you know, Kirkman is uh, is pretty good at it. He's not he's not the master. The master of the cliffhanger is Brian K. Vaughn in, in my mind, um, and what he does like with with saga issue to issue. Um, but uh, you know, I, I think the mediums just lend themselves to a different type of storytelling. Comics have the ability to move faster. I mean, just physically, you can take a group of people and put them twenty miles down the road in one panel, whereas in the show, like. You probably need to show some amount of traveling down that road, right? Um, so, uh, I, I think the the pacing is a legit issue with the show. But the show did also uh, bring in Daryl, who I am I'm fucking stunned to this day that Daryl is not coming to the comics. <laughs> like, I I thought for sure we got an issue 150 earlier this year, and I'm like, okay, 150 of this issue, big milestone. Here comes fucking Daryl <laughs> with the wings on his his vest and everything on a motorcycle. Like Daryl's joining the comic, and um, and he's not there. And I wonder why. I like. Well, I, I, I think Daryl would be a great addition. I, I I feel like him being interjected into the comics would be very similar to the way Harley Quinn came to the scene. She started out in the animated series, mm-hmm. then made her way into comics, and is now in movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think, like, I mean, just from a, con- and, you know, back to my retailer mind, like, we would sell fucking 10 zillion copies <laughs> of the first appearance of Daryl. Like, you want people to buy comics oh, by yeah. the case again? Yeah. Mr. Kirkman, please <laughs> give me Daryl in a book that I can sell to people. Do you think it's maybe, it's kind of too late? That, I mean, it's like you said, 163 issues in, and to introduce an iconic character that late in the run, is it just sort of, they past that point I feel like tie it into the show make it make it look like he's gonna die and everyone's gonna want more of Daryl <laughs> yeah I mean, I, right Con, for his continued adventures follow <laughs> Daryl to issue 175 uh, well I think I, I mean are you guys current on the Walking Dead comic are you no. near, or, uh, I'm on the f- oh, I think 17th trade okay. I don't know what well, issue that is this is a spoiler I guess I don't know if it is it's not okay <laughs> D- Rick, is, Rick is still alive Okay. Okay. That's not too big. So I was like, kind of guess Batman's that. Batman's still fucking alive <laughs> in Gotham City, right? Yeah. Like Rick's still yeah. alive. In my personal opinion, Rick needs to fucking go. Like Rick, Rick's he's been a lo- he's been around, but he's lived way longer than anybody should ever live in this world, and he's taken really hard knocks in that book, and he should go. And and my if it were up to me, um, Carl would take over as the protagonist of the book, like the main mm, protagonist. Yeah. I feel like this kid has been raised behind the baddest badass in this world he should become like the ultimate zombie fighter leader but you know again like give him a partner give him fucking give him daryl like let's (laughs) rick you gotta go i love you but you need to die that's one of the things that's really prevalent in the books is that they'll invest into a character and and you'll think okay this person's gonna last this person's gonna make it and you know at, at the drop of a dime boom they're dead yeah uh and it's surprising to hear rick has broken away from that formula i can see your point about how he's developed this immunity (laughs) yeah i I mean i won't i won't talk about like what what rick looks like in the you know in the current issue or or you know what exactly i i am referring to when i say that he's you know had some hard knocks but um, it's it's getting harder and harder to believe that he is like the leader of men. Though I don't know, I guess that's bullshit. Like we've had presidents in wheelchairs and whatever, but it's just it's kind of hard to believe that he's like still this this hardcore badass um, after after being beat down so badly over and over. Like he needs he needs to go out in a fiery ball of glory or not, or just like get bit. 
And it's like, oh, yeah. fuck, I can't believe after all that. Like, I didn't I didn't <laughs> look down and I got bit in yeah. this house. And that's so, in true that's bullshit. Walking Dead fashion. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe that is the ending. Rick dies. Well, I mean, Kirkman said that he's only going to do that book as long as this show's on. He's not going to do it past this show. So yeah. uh, how much longer can that really be? You know, how long does any TV show go on? It's not The Simpsons, right? I don't think we're going to get 25 years of, of The Walking Dead. So. I, I also did hear that uh, that Kirkman, he he's formulated an ending for the book. Okay. Uh, oh, that, really? that it's in his head. It's it's there. He knows what's going to happen. Uh, I don't think he's revealed it. Well, I don't think he would reveal it to anybody. Of course not. <laughs> it's all a dream. Well, something <laughs> tells me, though, that the show would still continue even after the books, which I feel like will be the... I don't know. A lot of people have argued that the show has jumped the shark already, but uh, I don't know. I'd hate to see it. I, I, I like seeing stories actually come to an end. Like, I like a beginning, middle, and end. Mm-hmm. I yeah. hate seeing things sort of go past where they really need to go, but yeah. it's just me. Uh, on the other hand, I would say the show is, has sort of deterred so greatly from the comics that if the comics ended and they continue the show, they're, they're so, you know, like, different that maybe it's not wouldn't be that big of a deal that they continue the show I, I don't see Kirkman doing it honestly I think he I think Kirkman is a comics guy and like you go back to that manifesto and stuff I think comics are super important to him I, I don't think he's gonna have the Walking Dead TV show without a comic and I don't think it's I don't think it would be necessary unless like sales went away and he was just losing yeah. money on every issue or whatever but um you know, he clearly can keep writing it. I mean, some issues of The Walking Dead you read, there's like, I swear there's like 16 words. I mean, they're, they're you know, his scripts are pretty sparse. Mm. Uh, but I, think, I think AMC sees that. That's why there's fear of The Walking Dead. Yeah, right? <laughs> oh, right, yeah. Yeah, actually, that's a good point. The redheaded stepchild you know? of The Walking Dead. <laughs> right, it, they, they've already done it. They've already, you know, done TV beyond the comics. It's, that's, it's that show, right? Yeah. So, hey, Aton, so you brought up Saga. That's another current image title that is really kind of has made a bit, big splash. And I know you're a big fan. Maybe you can talk about that a yeah, little bit. Yeah, I, th- I think Saga is another super important book, um, other than being just a great book, um, in that, uh, you know, you talk about the, the renaissance that, that The Walking Dead started in the early 2000s and kind of got Image back on track with some more interesting, different stuff. Well, Saga came what six or so years ago i think um and they and they they brought another kind of shift i think to uh to image with um a good focus on art and and a real variety of of storytelling um saga is also i mean i i don't know if i've said this before i know i say it in the store fucking six times a day but saga is the gateway drug of comics like i can i i can hand saga to anybody um, they will love it. The only person I know who hasn't loved is our, our former intern, Kevin, but he's a dumbass. <laughs> That's um, why he's former. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Get out of here, kid. You don't like Saga? Go to college. Um, but, uh, but you know, great storytelling and appeals to appeals to everybody. appeals to men and women the same. It appeals to young and old. Um, it appeals to comic fans and not comic fans. I think a lot of people only read Saga. Um you know, and, and we try to get them to branch out and, and often we get them to read other Brian K. Vaughn books, um, the writer of Saga, but um, but Saga just has such a, a wide appeal, I think. And, and uh, you know, I'm a big believer in, in comics are for everybody, um, regardless of, of age, gender, you know, race, whatever. Comics are just for everybody. But I, I do think that Saga... Um, 
I think Saga opened a lot of, of women's eyes to um, a love of, of comics and what comics can be. Not that it's like a feminine comic or anything like that. I just um, I just see a lot of women readers start with Saga and then branch out from there. And I think um, you see a lot of other uh, books that, that started after Saga, you know, like A Wicked and Divine um, or um, what else? Uh, sex criminals, or, or the mm. you know these kind of books that um, that that span genres, right? They're they're funny, they're sexy, they're sad, they're exciting, um, all this stuff. And I, I think I really think credit should go to Saga for for the prominence of that storytelling and the inclusiveness of a lot of of um, the image books that we that we have out now. Yeah, I read the first trade of Saga. And I do want to continue it, and my takeaway from it was uh the world they live in is is out there <laughs> like yeah. it's i think i might have asked you like what what is saga this is before i read it and uh i can't remember the explanation you gave me it might have been what you just said about how you described <laughs> it but my takeaway from it after reading it was it's a it's a a love story of survival is that a good explanation it is yeah i mean i i break it down for a lot of people um and i don't necessarily love this breakdown so i always kind of like um you know uh, give it like a backhanded kind of not compliment but um, anyway what I say is I you know I point to the the cover which has the family on it it has Marco and Alana and their baby um, and you know Marco has horns Alana has wings and you got this this war out in the the universe between the horns and the wings and these two um, were soldiers on either side and they fall in love and they have a baby and now they're on the run from from both sides and um, so it's kind of like Romeo and Juliet in space. But I think that sounds really fucking horrible. Like, that's not a comic that I would pick up, you know, <laughs> Romeo and Juliet in space. So I try to justify that and tell people it's so funny and it's so charming and it's uh, really dramatic and, and beautiful. And it's just like it's a really special book, despite it sounding kind of hardcore nerdy. Um, it's it's just a really phenomenal uh, story. Great. Yeah, I think we could go on and on about the greatness that is Image Comics, uh, but I wanted to give just a little more context on this whole creative ownership because I can't, to me, I can't say enough about how important it is. And recently I, I, I read up a little bit on the creative ownership behind Watchmen, the DC comic. And, you know, a lot of what we've talked about how um, a lot of classic characters are owned by corporate entities and we kind of, you know, we think of Batman and Superman and Iron Man and Captain America like create, uh, characters that have been created a long time ago, you know, it's, oh that's you know, kinda, that's the way it was back then, you know companies or own the characters but um, you know, cut to later, you know, Watchmen is is more a more recent i mean it's the 80s so it's pretty old now but uh relatively a pretty recent modern comic and the the creative freedom that alan moore and dave gibbons brought to that i, I always thought of it as like oh it's got to be one of these creator owned creations you know but it's not you know and dc comics owns watchmen and uh th there was I mean, I, I guess Alan Moore, he, he severed all ties with DC due to these disputes. And it just really emphasizes the importance of companies like Image 
that does give full ownership to its creators. It's so important. It, it is, yeah. I mean, it's it's important to for uh, for creators, and it's important for readers. You know, I mean, we get yeah. the best stories when these guys have the freedom, and they're happy, and they're making money. You know, they, I mean, you get a you get a writer or an artist or somebody who's working exclusively for DC or Marvel, and um, you know, these guys they're not getting rich one page at a time doing modern comics. You know, so oftentimes they need to do a bunch. Um, the work gets rushed. Um, they don't have freedom. You know, if even if they're allowed a little bit of freedom at the beginning, if sales dip, an editor's gonna step in and be like, "You got to put fucking Rocket Raccoon in there," and you're like, "I'm telling a Hawkeye story. <laughs> like, I can't put Rocket Raccoon yeah. in there." Uh, but they'll, you know, they'll they'll jam it into a story, and you, and you see it all the time. And 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 you're, this is coming from somebody who loves superhero comics, and I love crossovers, and I love all this stuff. But when I'm reading a ground level Hawkeye story and then you tell me it ties into Civil War which is a big you know superhero fight between Iron Man and Captain Marvel like like no like well, I'm <laughs> like I'm reading a story about a little she's a PI I mean that, yeah. that didn't actually happen but just a you know but that kind of thing does happen yeah. and yeah, and yeah. they this stuff gets shoehorned in and it's 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 kind of a shame you're talking about Alan Moore cutting ties with uh, DC. I think he's cut ties with all of humanity altogether. <laughs> yeah, I think you give him a bad look and he'll cut ties with you. But it's, you know, it, it, to me it was, you know, it was eye-opening, you know, to hear about those disputes. Yeah, it, and he's turned down a lot of money. I mean, image or, or DC, you know, offered him money from the Watchmen movie. He said no. Um, he doesn't take royalties from the comic sales anymore. Um, he does not approve of DC using the Watchmen in their uh, reverse stuff. Like, he's just, uh, he didn't like before Watchmen. Mm-hmm. Um, or the know, movie. Or, or, yeah, he, he just, he doesn't, um, he does not approve. But but like you said, you know, he's he does not approve of the world spinning. <laughs> that so. needs to be a meme somewhere. I'm sure it exists. Yeah, I'm sure it does. <laughs> okay, hey, I think it's getting close to wrap-up time, so why don't we do as we usually do, talk about new comics. Today is Monday, February 6th, and on the 8th, New Comic Book Wednesday. Uh, so why don't we talk about some stuff uh, we're looking forward to. I can start. Uh, so on Wednesday... Black number four is coming out from Black Mask Studios, and I'm definitely looking forward to it. I've been uh, reading the series to date, and one thing about this series is the content is great, but it also has very striking covers, very controversial. Like issue two uh, showed like three black men hanging from a tree, essentially. So very provocative images, and number four is is no different. There's an image of uh, what looks to be Donkey Kong, but instead of Donkey Kong, it's an image of our current president <laughs> at the top. Awesome. And you see our hero Kareem uh, in the Mario role. He's like running up uh, to to get to to the top, and uh, there are policemen shooting at him. There's uh, KKK Klansmen throwing fireballs at him. And, yeah, the the cover alone is 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 pretty phenomenal, but uh, yeah, definitely looking forward to that. Um, yeah, I've got a few too, and and before uh, I just want to say, you know, we we talked about a few, um, we talked about a handful of image books. There are fifty more amazing books that that everybody should read. I mean, in fact, if you come into the store, um, our main kind of recommendation table. 
um, has about 12 different books that um, we completely stand behind. Like we, we think they are amazing. And it's actually, that table is all image. There's nothing else on it. Mm. Uh, so anyway, um, the books that I'm looking forward to this week, um, we've got All-Star Batman um, coming from Scott Snyder. Uh, this one has art by Tula Lote, um, who if you're not familiar, look her up. She's got such an incredibly distinct style. Like the, it's, it's kind of rare that you see an artist you see what they do, um, and you know it's them. Like, there's no question. There's nobody else doing uh, what she's doing. And she's doing a, a, a Poison Ivy story, I believe, um, which should be really, really cool to look at. And that, that book's been a lot of fun to read. Um, another one is a graphic novel coming from Image uh, called Black History in Their Own Words. And I believe what this book is, from what I've seen, is a full-page uh, spreads or... or um, you know, portraits of important black figures um, with quotes, you know, really significant quotes from them. It looks like a really beautiful, really important book, um, obviously in time for uh, Black History Month. Uh, another DC book, uh, JLA, Justice League of America Rebirth is coming this week. That is the Batman versus Lobo. I know I said last time I was recording um, that I fully believe that Batman and Lobo should be together at all times. Mm -hmm. I hope that um, this that somebody at DC hears this and gives me the team up book I deserve after 25 years. Um, and the final book that I want to uh, to shine a light on is Kingpin Number One, uh, which is written by Matthew Rosenberg, um, who was behind uh, We Can Never Go Home, um, one of the two best Black Mass books, if you ask me, one of the two best books of 2015. Um, I think he's just a uh, a huge star in the making and, and clearly Marvel does too because they're giving him um, all kinds of work but the, he did a Kingpin miniseries that was part of Civil War it was fantastic um, and now he's doing an ongoing series another really good book about a bad guy doing bad shit and he's been in store yes he has yeah yeah which is super cool because I'm a huge fan and he's super nice yeah he joined us for a book club via Skype once and then he did pass through um, and do a signing um, with Frank Barbieri on their way to um, to Comic Con. Um, he also writes Four Kids Walking to a Bank. Everybody should read that. Yes, oh, um, great book. Yeah, yeah, and and you know his Rocket Raccoon book. Um, I know they just announced that it's going to end with issue five and then start with a new writer and whatever. But I don't think that has anything to do with the quality of the book. It's it's really good. I've I've never been interested in reading a Rocket Raccoon book, but I am certainly going to read that whole uh, that whole run. Cool. How about you, Rainier? Uh, you know, some books I actually wanted to call out on the heels of what Eitan uh, was talking about, some great image books. I'm reading Paper Girls, uh, which is a fun read, uh, as well as Renato Jones' 1%, a uh, bit of a mature title, but uh, it's a fun read as well. Uh, I'm also looking forward to All-Star Batman. Uh, that's coming out this week. I think it's number seven. Yeah, number seven. And uh, Justice League uh, Rebirth with Batman and Lobo. Uh, I also do want to call out the uh, Lego Batman movie that's coming out this Friday. I know, oh, yeah. I know it's not a comic book. I'm sure there's going to be some sort of extension of that, but uh, I, I can't wait for the Lego Batman movie. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited, too. I've got a date with my dad, I think, uh, to go see it. I, it and it's getting great reviews. All, a bunch oh, of comic people. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like uh, Paul Denny. Uh, was tweeting out that uh, that he saw it and loved it. I think I saw Kevin Smith said he loved it. Like all, all the people that you want to hear say that they love the Batman thing are coming out and being like, "This is the best Batman we've gotten in a while." Uh, <laughs> nice. So that yeah, that's really exciting. 
All right, with that, we can wrap up the episode. So this is Henry, Eitan, and Rainier saying farewell. <laughs>